Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where author, speaker, and worldwide renewal leader, Dr. Ralph Martin, shares what the Holy Spirit has placed on his heart for this moment. Words of encouragement from the Lord to strengthen you for such a time as this. Join us each week, wherever you get your podcasts, to find strength, hope, and courage for the Christian journey. And now, your host, Ralph Martin. Good afternoon. I uh, just came back from uh, finishing two and a half weeks of uh, two intensive courses I was doing for priests from all over the world who come to Sacred Heart Seminary each summer working on an advanced degree in evangelization. And uh, I'm just kind of like recovering my equilibrium uh, and all that. But Given that, I, I still want to talk to you today because um, my my good friend Peter Herbeck, who's executive vice president of Renewal Ministries, uh, gave a very moving uh, YouTube video last week called uh, "Monkeypox and Mercy." I thought he he just did a wonderful job in in communicating the compassion of Christ, but also uh, how deep the darkness is in our culture right now. So I'd like to kind of build on what Peter said last week and. I know he's going to do even a more thorough video next week, and I've heard it, so I I won't repeat that. But I, I want to add some things of my own. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard, monkeypox is uh, the latest disease. Uh, at the moment, it seems to be 98% uh, confined to uh, uh, men who are having sex with men. And uh, it, it doesn't seem to be fatal. I don't think anybody's died from it yet, but it's extremely painful, and it's characterized by a stro- uh, sores that appear on your body, obviously on parts of your body that you use for sexual relationships, but they can appear on other parts of the body either. So they, they don't want to strictly categorize it as a sexually, sexually transmitted disease because you can get it some other ways too by touching people who's infected, but uh, it's primarily seems to be spreading through um, men having sex with men. And uh, very, very painful. Uh, it might take four weeks to uh, begin to clear up. They're still still working on it. But anyway, the thing I want to mention about it is that uh, the government and the health agencies are having the hardest time figuring out to talk about it and the hardest time about what advice to give. Uh, they Some of the articles have been written even recently write a whole article about this new plague, this new virus, and we all have to take precautions and, you know, we need government funding. We need to carry, oh, call it a public health emergency. And and they have declared it a public health emergency, but it's mainly spreading the way I told you it's spreading. And so there's a lot of debate going on saying, should we say outright that this is mainly a problem? Uh, for, for men who are having sex with men. And uh, it, they're just agonizing over it. And it's sort of like part of our our struggle with kind of dealing with reality. For example, the uh, the CDC, the United States uh, you know, Center for Health and Drugs, say they recommend quarantining and abstaining, but, quote, that can be very difficult with a disease that can last four weeks. So they're, they're saying, gee, it's going to be tough to ask people to abstain from sex for four weeks. And 
And so they go on to make some other recommendations. This is an exact quote of the Center for Disease Control recommendations. Limit your number of sex partners to reduce your likelihood of exposure. Masturbate together at a distance without touching each other, without touching any rash. Have virtual sex with no in-person contact. And consider having sex with your clothes on or covering areas where rash is present. Reducing as much skin-to-skin contact as possible. Leather or latex gear also provides a barrier to skin-to-skin contact. Just be sure to change or clean clothes or gear between partners and after use. I don't know. Besides besides being just plain old yucky, uh, it's kind of it's kind of weak advice. Limit the number of people. Don't don't stop. Just limit the number so maybe it spreads to fewer people. One doctor felt the advice given was so weak that irresponsible that he spoke out publicly against it, warning that indeed if the spread was to stop in the gay sex networks, it could spread more widely and become the global pandemic they were falsely presenting it as. Apparently it started in certain rave sex parties in Europe and uh, it's kind of spread from there by anonymous partners, multiple partners. And this is what the uh, New York Times reported the New York City Health Department was saying about it. Inside the New York City Health Department, officials are battling over public messaging as the number of monkeypox cases has nearly tripled in the last week. Nearly all of them among men who have sex with men. A few epidemiologists say the city should be encouraging gay men to temporarily change their sexual behavior while the disease spreads. While other officials argue that approach would stigmatize gay men and would backfire. According to the article, Dr. Don Weiss, the director of surveillance for the department's Bureau of Communicable Diseases, believes the department should advise those at risk of monkeypox to temporarily reduce the number of partners, saying we're not telling people what they have to do to be safe. His concerns are shared by some of his colleagues, emails and interviews show indicating growing frustration and pessimism within the ranks of the health department as the window for controlling New York City's monkeypox epidemic, the largest such outbreak in the United States, quickly closes. Now, it could spread beyond this population, but the best chance of stopping it from spreading is to talk straight to this population saying, the way this is going to stop is by stopping doing this for at least a while. And, um, it just, it just kind of, you know, another another quote just said, uh, we don't want to imply in any way there's anything wrong with what they're doing. We don't want to apply in any way there's anything wrong with how people conduct their sexual lives. Uh, we, we just want to try to figure out a way somehow of talking about this without offending people or stigmatizing people. So that's the struggle. There's a lot, there's a lot of struggle today about what to call things, what to say about things what language we can still use, uh, what we do when people find offensive, what we're saying, and do we have to accept their version of reality? And so it's it's really, you know, the rubber's hitting the road when it, when it comes to this issue. It, it makes me remember what it says in Romans chapter one. I know Peter's going to do a really good treatment of this, I think, next week. And it says, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, 
So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. And there's a big description, of course, about men giving up natural intercourse with men and having intercourse with, with men giving up natural intercourse with women, having intercourse with men, women doing the same thing, all kinds of other evil and wickedness coming from that. Then it goes on to say, although they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So that whole darkness that's described in Romans chapter 1 about when people refuse to acknowledge God, refuse to worship him, or refuse to thank him, refuse to seek to know what his will is for the human race and why we're alive when they, when they, it says they culpably suppress the truth. It, they, they're responsible for repressing the truth. Uh, they're without excuse. God's made it clear to them that he exists and they, they need to pay attention to him. But when they purposely don't acknowledge that he exists and purposely don't pay attention to him, they're given over to darkness. They're given over to becoming a slave to darkness and to sin. Stuff that's killing them, they can't stop doing. But, you know, the, the mercy of Christ is grace. Right? The Lord, the Lord wants to offer mercy to everybody who's in darkness, who's everybody's in delusion, everybody who's moving towards unreality. The Lord wants to set them free with the light of Christ, the light of the gospel, the light of the church. Well, the masks are really off now. What's under the surface is really becoming clear. You either have repudiated God and all the Ten Commandments. Honestly, if you go through the Ten Commandments and you look at what's happening in our culture today, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbors yourself. Oh my goodness. That that's 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 not happening. That, that's been repudiated. Keep holy Lord's Day. Oh no, let's make money on the Lord's Day. Honor your mother and father. No, no. Uh, do your own thing. Uh, they're old fashioned. Uh, you got to be you. Uh, yeah, you got to. You got to look out for number one. Thou shalt not kill. The masks are off now about abortion too, aren't they? Years ago, people used to say, "Yes, abortion's a terrible thing, but we want it to be safe, legal." and rare they're not saying that anymore no limits no limits the absolute right of a woman to do whatever she wants with the baby in her body no limits no concern for the other person that's involved no concern for the father that's involved no concern for the extended family no concern for humanity oh we know there's tough cases we, we, we know this isn't easy for people when they have an unplanned pregnancy, but the solution is never to kill another innocent person. Oh, it's gravely wrong. Now, the mercy of God is always available, as we know, for forgiveness, but our, our culture is boasting about their right to kill babies. How dark is that? How depraved is that? Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
the Lord has made absolutely clear that he's created us male and female. And the purpose of human sexuality is to draw us into a union of love and lifelong fidelity open to life. Every exercise of genital sexuality outside of holy marriage is gravely wrong, a violation of this special, special capacity God has given us, and it harms the people who engage in it, whether it's fornication or adultery or uh, homosexuality or solitary sex or pornography. It's killing us. It's darkening us. It's hurting us. It's hurting other people. The path to happiness and sexuality is to obey the Lord. And the Lord can set people free who are in bondage to these things we know. C.S. Lewis has an interesting quote. He says, the fog of religion has been lifted. The positions and numbers of both armies can be observed now. And real shooting is now possible. That's a quote from his uh, essay, The Decline of Religion. I'll repeat it. The fog of religion has been lifted. The positions and numbers of both armies can be observed. And real shooting is now possible. The masks have been taken off. It, it isn't like we're making little adjustments in morality. It isn't like we're making little adjustments in liberalizing religion. We're drifting away from actually believing in God. We're drifting away from actually believing in the Word of God. We're drifting away from even caring whether God exists. The many of us have decided he doesn't exist. And our culture, the secular culture, is repudiating God. No question about it. There's two diametrically opposed worldviews that are becoming clear now. The, the religious language is being taken off, although some are putting it back on again. There really are apostate so-called Christian churches. There are churches today that have gone over to the world. There are churches today that are for abortion. There are churches today that celebrate sexual immorality. They hang flags outside of their church and say, come on to our church. We won't tell you to repent and change. No, no, we'll affirm you in your fantasy. We'll affirm you in your bondage. How, how tragic that is, how tragic that is. And unfortunately, some of those things are afoot in the Catholic Church too, aren't they? I won't get into that. I talk about it a lot. But there's a lot of people within the Catholic Church that don't feel comfortable with the Word of God. Don't feel comfortable with the truth, with the Ten Commandments, and are trying to open up an accommodation to the world. But talk about that some other time. Okay, there's a scripture passage, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. You know, we didn't need Benedict XVI to remind us that the Antichrist is, is afoot. It, it's in the scripture. Sometimes Christian culture has been strong enough to stave him off for a while, but he's back. And he's trying to use governments to compel us to silence the gospel, to compel us to speak falsehood, to compel us to go along with fantasy and deception and depravity and call it good. We've been there before. Even amongst God's people in the Old Testament, well, the strong words of the prophets about there are prophets and teachers, false prophets and false teachers who are calling virtue vice and are calling vice virtue. And it's going on today, unfortunately, even within the church. Another text, Luke chapter 19, verse 14, the parable of the 
the rightful heir, the, the king coming back to his vineyard to claim it, and the people who have taken it over saying, we will not have this man reign over us. That's what our culture is saying, isn't it? We will not have this man, Jesus, rule over us. And then those 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 frightening words at the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Pilate turns to them and says, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. There are many people today that are saying that we have no values, we have no king, we have no belief, we have no Lord except ourselves. People have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and are worshiping the creature, worshiping themselves. Pretty bad, pretty bad. I'm just going to throw in a little personal story here. Some of you know I was struggling with my faith when I was a student at Notre Dame. And uh, I, I was trying to figure things out. And I, I became a philosophy major. And I uh, began to study Nietzsche, Plato. And uh, the thing I liked about Nietzsche, I felt like he was just absolutely radically critical. He was questioning presumptions. He was showing falsehoods and arguments. He was laying bare false reliances. And he's basically saying, what's the basis for what people are saying? What's the basis for what people are saying? And he, he struggled with faith. Eventually, he gave it up. And he says, if God is dead, then everything is permitted. If God is dead, there's no longer any basis for objective reality or right or wrong. The only thing that's left is the will to power. Somebody with a strong enough will to impose meaning on a chaotic universe. Somebody with a strong enough will to stop from going crazy because he sees the implications of God being dead and knowing that nothing holds anymore. And so he he made some crazy statements, which turned out to be true in a properly understood way. I remember back in, I think it was back in the 60s, even Time Magazine had a big cover saying, God is dead. And uh, that's what Nietzsche said, God is dead. And Europe doesn't recognize it yet. And they're coasting on what the, got, they got when they believed in God. But that, that, that doesn't exist anymore. It's not that they don't really believe in him anymore. They're, they're not living for him anymore. They're, they're not being formed by him anymore. And it's pretty soon going to become apparent what the implications are that for human life and for culture. Pretty soon we're going to reach the point where we're beyond good and evil. There's no longer an objective way of measuring good and evil. Everybody's going to have to decide it for themselves. And then he said, if God is dead, everything's permitted. The only meaning is imposed by man. There's no objective structure of reality. And what we're left with then is the will to power. And that's what's happening right now. The powerful who don't believe in God have elevated themselves to a place where they will determine what's right and wrong, what's true and false, what language can be used and what language can't be used. Nietzsche unlike many others for whom God is practically speaking dead, recognize the horror of the situation. Anything goes, no objective truth or meaning. He struggled for sanity. And now we've reached a point in our culture, too, where we're struggling for sanity. Somebody was just asked in a hearing, can you give a definition of a woman? And the person couldn't. 
And now we're, it's, it's this thing that people call people birthing persons or menstruating persons or calling people men who are actually biological women or calling women men who are actually biological women. And uh, if we don't go along with this, we're accused of hating them. We don't hate people who are confused. We don't hate people who have been abused. We don't hate people who feel lonely, isolated, excluded, and, and troubled. We love people like that. We want to help them. But you can't help people by being manipulated into believing a fantasy, believing a deception. Now, what Nietzsche said back in the 19th century about God being dead, and people don't realize the implications of it yet, Father Joseph Ratzinger, in a radio address in 1969, said something very parallel concerning the condition of the church and its place in the world. This is what he said. From the crisis of today, the church of tomorrow will emerge. A church that has lost much. She will become small and will have to start afresh, more or less from the beginning. She will no longer be able to inhabit many of the edifices she built in prosperity. As the number of her members diminishes, so it will lose many of her social privileges. He's basically saying there's a big crisis going on. People don't realize it. There's an irreversible downtrend. He says, in contrast to an earlier age, it will be seen much more as a voluntary society entered only by free decision, not by tradition or culture, not by societal support. As a small society, it will make much bigger demands on the initiative of her individual members. Undoubtedly, it will discover new forms of ministry in many smaller congregations or in self-contained social groups. Pastoral care will be normally provided in this fashion. But in all of the changes at which one might guess, the church will find her essence afresh and with full conviction in that which was always at her center, faith in the triune God, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man, in the presence of the Spirit until the end of the world, in faith and prayer. She will again recognize the sacraments as the worship of God and not as a subject for liturgical scholarship. But when the trial of this sifting is past, a great power will flow from a more spiritualized and simplified church. The church will be a more spiritual church, not presuming upon a political mandate, flirting as little with the left as with the right. It will be hard going for the church, for the process of crystallization and clarification will cost her much valuable energy. This, this is what's going on right now in many places of the church. Uh, downsizing, merging, closing, right-sizing, uh, planning for 10 years from now will only have as half as many priests. Uh, a lot of energy is going into dealing with the rot that's under the surface, the unbelief that's been growing all these years and hasn't been addressed. The process will be all the more arduous for sectarian narrow-mindedness as well as pompous self-will will have to be shed. One may predict that all this will take time. The process will be long and wearisome. But, but when the trial of the sifting is passed, 
A great power will flow from more spiritualized and simplified church. I'm repeating that. Men in a totally planned world will find themselves unspeakably lonely. If they've completely lost sight of God, they will feel a whole horror of their poverty. That's the horror that Nietzsche felt. He knew what the implications were of God being dead. You know, we know that God has never been dead. There was an old joke that said, uh, Nietzsche said, God is dead. God said, Nietzsche's dead. You know, who was right? You know, but anyway, that's, that's silly. Uh, but there's a horror to it. And Nietzsche knew there was a horror to it. And he was struggling for sanity and struggled for meaning. We're doing that right now in our culture. If they have completely lost sight of God, they will feel the whole horror of their poverty. They will discover they will discover the little flock of believers as something wholly new. It's actually a little church a few blocks from here, a little tiny, tiny house. And the name of the church is called the Little Flock. Now, my wife and I drive by it. And uh, I think someday we'd like to visit the Little Flock. You know, never leave the Catholic Church, never join the Little Flock. But there's something very touching about the humility and the, the roadside presence of a church called the Little Flock. I just like to go and say hello and encourage them in the faith. We'll see if it happens. They will discover it as a hope that is meant for them, an answer for which they've always been searching in secret. And so it seems certain to me that the church is facing very hard times. The real crisis has scarcely begun. This is finishing what Father Joseph Ratchinger said. We will have to count on terrific upheavals, but I'm equally certain about what will remain at the end. Not the church of the political cult, which is dead already. The church of faith. It may no longer, may well no longer be the dominant social power to the extent that she was until recently, but it will enjoy a fresh blossoming and be seen as man's home where he will find life and hope beyond death. The ultimate problem is sin, the devil, the Superman that Nietzsche was looking for, the philosopher king that Plato knew was necessary, has come, and he's Jesus Christ. He's the true king. He's the true superman. He's the one that's come to rescue us from the horror of meaninglessness, the horror of compulsive sin, the horror of a depraved mind. He's the light of the world and the love of the world and the life of the world. He's come to show mercy to everyone. What shall we do? You know, chapter five of my book, The Church in Crises, Pathways Forward. I put a quote at the top of the chapter, and this is it. How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. The mask you're off, what's under the surface is clear. There's a choice. Do we honor God? Do we love him? And most importantly, do we pay attention to him and do what he says so we can be rescued from this pit of fantasy and illusion and mental illness and depravity? We're not. We need to stop straddling the issue like the prophet Elijah told 
the people of his time. We need to make decisions and decide who we trust, what we believe, and where we really are in relationship to the true king, Jesus. Is he our king? Is he truly our king? Practically speaking, what can we do? Treasure the word of God. Treasure it, love it, pour over it, listen to it, ask the Holy Spirit to make it real and alive to you. We just simply got to recover our confidence in the inspiration and errancy of God's word. I, I sometimes can spend a long time with my little daily scripture readings from the Mass of the Day and Magnificat. And just, uh, just let them speak to me. Let them keep forming my mind and beginning to think more and more like Jesus, loving Jesus. Uh, I look. I, I've mentioned this before, but I got to tell you again. It's 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 daily. It's daily. Just just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. And then let's just really intercede out of love and mercy for those caught in darkness. We, we all have relatives that are caught in this darkness. Like Mary said, many souls go to hell because there are none to sacrifice themselves and to pray for them. The darkness is deep. The battle is getting clearer. The masks are off. But we were born at such a time as this. This is where God has chosen to place us. We all have a mission and a purpose. And we all should have immense growing confidence in the providence of God. He's with us to give us a steady heart and a clear mind and a great love for the salvation of souls. Let's do all we can in the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Love one another and all people in the peace of the Lord because we know how this is going to end. It's going to end with God giving an amazing opportunity to every person on the face of the earth to be saved, whether through increasing chastisement, more plagues, whether illumination of conscience, whatever. He's going to give everybody a chance. And then, if there's repentance, it's just turning back to God. We could see something emerge from the church that's strong and healthy and powerful, that's able to really reveal the light of Christ to the world and kind of solve some of our divisions and deceptions within us. But we can't tackle the big picture by ourselves, but what we can do is tackle ourselves. We can stop straddling the issue ourselves, and we can do something to help other people do that too through our witness, through our love, through our prayers, through our sacrifice. Just remember. What scripture said, there's such joy in heaven when just one sinner repents. And we can be that one sinner, and we can help some other fellow sinners repent too. God bless you. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. If you are enjoying this podcast, we invite you to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or review, following or subscribing to this podcast, or sharing on social media. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.